Hey, welcome to Humanitu. I'm Adam Williams, the creator and host of this podcast series that shines light on humanness and creativity. Today I'm talking about something that I'm really not comfortable talking about. Love. I start with an odd little story that finally got me to speak on this issue I've got with love. I explore why I'm not comfortable having this talk with you today and why that's got to change and how I'm changing it. I also briefly digress into the nuances of karma, what it really is and what it really isn't. And I share some other things that I think you'll find to be useful in your own relationship to love. Here we go. I was hiking with my eight-year-old son Jasper the other day. We were on one of my favorite mountain trails near where we live in the Colorado Rockies. And we had summited this trail, coming out on a granite dome with views that sprawl across miles and miles of forest and gorgeous stacks and outcroppings of red rock and three alpine lakes in the distance. Nearby, the famous mountain that the indigenous of this land called Tava, more commonly known to many others as Pikes Peak, rose a few more thousand feet into a bluebird sky. And while we're up there, a Canada jay, a gray and white bird, not small, not big, had swooped down at me not once, but three times, flying directly at me as I ate an apple. It was as if the bird was trying to figure out how he could just snatch that apple right out of my hand. But he'd pull out to my right and glide past me each time. So when Jasper and I were a couple miles into heading back down the trail, another of these gray jays sat on a pine branch, only a few feet away, just staring at me. It hopped once to get further out on the branch, but Jasper jumped back. He started to duck behind me. He'd been a little nervous at the summit, between the bird that was dive-bombing for my apple and there were more than several chipmunks skittering all around, clearly very, very comfortable with humans, practically would come right on to you, and they were also trying to get at our food. So I told Jasper, there's nothing to worry about. The bird's not going to hurt us. And to put him at ease, I looked the bird in the eye, reached out my hand, and I talked directly to it. I said, you're safe with us. We love you. And then I instantly recoiled internally at having said out loud and to a bird the word love. And before I could look around, this question shot through my mind. What if someone else is within earshot and heard me and they think I'm weird? Now that is the most absurd reaction to myself in that moment, is it not? A bit too junior high-ish, wanting not to run afoul of others' perceptions of me. The most innocuous, most necessary of expressions in our lives, love. And yet I have found myself in my mid-40s feeling an awkward and even sometimes fearful relationship with it. On top of that, in that moment, I had that general self-conscious kind of fear that imagines an onlooker judging me as nothing but a, a hippie tree hugger or bird hugger. Like that's a bad thing. Like loving nature and being immersed in my love of it and expressing it is a bad thing. Saying the word love out loud, whether to birds, to myself, to other humans, like speaking of it to you right now. It just feels uncomfortable to me in almost all circumstances, at least when it's not directed to my wife and sons. And I don't want it to be that way. I want my connection with love to come from that inherent naturally flowing place that exists within each of us, for myself, for other humans, for all nature. Though for many of us, I think it has been covered over. It's something we we bury, we hold back, we hide, and it becomes hard and difficult 
at least in, in my experience, to then reconnect with very easily and to make use of. But I want to be one of these men that I occasionally see in the world who seem to confidently speak of it openly, as if there's no other way, because why shouldn't they? But then why shouldn't I, and, and why shouldn't all of us be able to speak of it and act on it confidently and openly? So let me ask you, is love part of your daily vocabulary? Beyond those closest to you, those you might have a daily habit of saying it with, and is it the lens through which you view yourself and your actions, others and their actions, and really the whole of life, this shared experience and this planet that we share. I mostly feel fine considering love intellectually. And by that, I mean I can stand back from it and I can talk about it like it's an emotionally distant academic topic. But how love is the love if I don't allow myself to get into it and feel it for fear or how it's received and judged, maybe, when I express it? I also can work with these kinds of thoughts and the ideas of love privately, internally, in my spiritual practices like meditation and chanting and writing and reflective thinking, but then it's, it's like it's just my little secret. When really love is meant to be given, meant to be shared, it's meant to be made known. So when it comes to putting love out there out loud, again, other than to my wife and sons, I really struggle. And the world needs more of us to act with compassion and thoughtfulness and this love, right? Less division, more connection. To place more value on listening and allowing and accepting than on dismissing, judging, and uh, overriding. But I struggle to feel safe, comfortable, able to take that on directly. Why? Why do I fear rippling that good in the world? Why do I feel blocked up and disconnected from this most human platonic expression of care and compassion and connection. I look at humanity as a way that I can serve good in the world. And service is a form of love. The author Gary Chapman even included that in his widely known book, The Five Love Languages. Humanity has meaning for me as a spiritual practice and as a service of good for all of us. And of course, I hope it has value for you. But still, what I'm mostly talking about here today is the overt, full-throated use of the word love and directly looking it in the eye and declaring publicly, right here and now, this is a step in my practice to be about that in this world. If I, if collectively we, can be or get comfortable with that being in our thoughts and vocabulary, then I think it will show in our work and in our body language and in our daily interactions with others and our more lasting relationships, in how we listen to each other and observe each other, trust each other, respect each other. But again, I'm still cultivating my own comfort and ease with this, admittedly, and with this ease of showing and being and certainly talking about love at this point. This is something that I think about and practice and something that I, I wrestle with and something that I'm trying to do and, and be. And I know that it is doable and beable. We see people who are those examples certainly. But to me, sometimes that love for all ideal feels aspirational. But again, why? Why is love so tough to say and to do and to, and to just be? Well, I have some theories on this. 
to toss out here uh, for exploration. And candidly, I also have some real questions about the validity, or accuracy anyway, of these theories in my head. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm just full of it. Maybe I'm off the mark. Because lately it's been more difficult to recognize for sure what's clear thought and insight, and what are clouded and and incomplete perceptions based on my own fears and skewed interpretations. After all, love has been the subject of countless songs, movies, poems, these things that have been put into the world for seemingly ever. It seems others feel completely adequate and capable in being all about that in their lives. I probably have long built up this story in my mind that those people, they somehow have been above the fray, above criticism, somehow have been allowed to get away with something that I can't, allowed to be human in a way that I'm not. And of course, I mean, putting it that way, that that's just sounds ridiculous, right? More recently, though, the further clouding of my sense of clarity about things that I think I think is that reason itself, shared understanding of truth, facts, and trust in each other's stories and, and versions of reality, interpretations, perceptions, it just, it just feels like it's all been destabilized. It feels like we're currently inhabiting a world of chaos and confusion. And I think all of that has made even the most basic things difficult for me to keep straight. I mean, what day of the week is it anyway? So the thoughts that I think make sense on love or any topic today might look different in the light of tomorrow. I recognize that. But I've come to this working understanding of why it's still important to work with these things and to get them out now and not wait for some shining instant of perfect clarity. That moment might never come. And this moment, this moment of now, is all there is. So I'm facing this now, out loud. And I think that that's useful in part because I think there's a connection between love and humility. And putting these ideas out there, out loud, on this podcast, being willing to expose myself, my inner thoughts and wonderings, to be willing to be off the mark and uncertain, but to move ahead anyway with intention, is a serious ego check. It's an exercise in vulnerability and letting go of owning where I am without insisting that it's where I have to stay. It's where I have to be boxed in forevermore. So to love, to love oneself, let alone others, I think it's an act of setting aside the ego, of setting aside expectations and demands and criticisms, of letting go of a need for control and perfect assurances, and it's just saying, I accept you and I love you as you are. I love me as I am. Obviously, you don't need to have a public platform like a podcast to to practice this form of humility. But for me, this is a tool that I'm using to explore what's what within me and then to do what I do as a means of reaching out to connect with you and to facilitate connection beyond me and you. I also think that love and presence, consciousness, being in the present are tied together. It's a practice of not getting lost in the past or the future as reasons to be scarce with our love, but to be in the now with ourselves and with other beings and then to trust in loving without attachment to those past events or attachment to fears about future ones. It's letting down the guardrails and trusting that we're good and we're right and we're safe to be love, to exhibit that, to be that example, to embody it, regardless of what comes next. Looking at my past 
as a place of context and learning, however, I do recognize something that I think speaks to that question of why I am so uncomfortable being here right now talking out loud about love. And I think it's something that has a whole lot to do with what's happening in society now overall, too. It's social conditioning. And I think it's social conditioning that is rooted in fear and others' expectations. And then they become our own. We all have our own version of that conditioning, of course. And, and so, you know, it's how we've been subtly but consistently trained to behave in line with others' expectations related to gender, race, finances, education, career, and so on. And we're expected to act in line with what those around us deem acceptable, right? Based in part on how they have fallen in line with what others trained them to be acceptable, to think and to, to do the quote-unquote right things, the shoulds, based on the social norms of who is around us, who's deciding what we should do, what's acceptable, what, what looks right to them. So for me, I'm a white, cisgender, heterosexual male, and I am living in our American brand of macho, or at least patriarchal society. And for further context, I'm one who grew up in the 80s and 90s in rural American Midwest. So my perception of my social training always has been with that masculine ideal in mind, that traditional idea of it in mind, that I should keep my feelings, certainly my tears, and my verbal direct use of the word love to a minimum, and probably better yet, just keep it to myself. So out of fear, I should keep it locked in, deny it, and due to social conditioning, I should play my part and encourage others to do the same. But out of fear of being seen as weak, as less than, as prey to bullies in school, or maybe even a little now as a presumably reasonable, thoughtful adult who is living in a climate of intensified ignorance, driven by schoolyard bullies who've now grown into bullies with their hands on the levers of government and religion and business and culture, and keeping quiet out of fear of, and, and now remember as a child in the 80s, a teenager in the early 90s where I grew up, which is like an awful lot of flyover land America, being a boy of almost any measure of sensitivity, mercy, compassion, thoughtfulness, was also inevitably something that led to social abuse for being thought of as a boy of questionable, uh, well, everything. In effect, that social conditioning always saying that emotions are feminine, girly. Emotions are high maintenance. Emotions are bad. And for many in the country where I am from and live, the United States, society still functions with that perception and expectation of men and masculinity. Us men, for many of us, we're bound up, emotionally locked up, in denial, living with these disconnections within ourselves, whether we recognize it or not, and then carrying them out to the world, rippling out a lack of truly knowing our capacities for love, for loving, and knowing it as a means of possibility and good. We see it daily in failures of leadership, in business and politics and religion. We see it daily in how individuals in our own communities treat each other, just out on the street, in the grocery store, the gas station, being impatient, indignant, angry, self-absorbed. Jessica Patterson, my friend and teacher and a spiritual resource who I have featured on this podcast and have mentioned several times, she shares this teaching, and I'm paraphrasing. Everything we do is either an expression of love or it is something we do out of a need for love. And so these many years later, with all my accumulated social conditioning and internal wrestling with myself, I look at a man like the artist Ruben Rojas in Los Angeles, 
He paints bright, colorful murals, creates sculptures, and produces clothing, all consisting of one word. Love. I don't know Ruben, and maybe I'll get to have him as a guest on this podcast one of these days. But I respect and appreciate his work, and I admire him for it, and maybe even envy him. Because I wonder, how did he get to be this way? How did he get to feel like he could not only express his whole loving self publicly in the world, but become sought out for infusing that one word into our cultural environment over and over and over? We need this love, individually, collectively. If I am right in my perception about the patriarchal ways we collectively have come to so much of this disconnection, this disconnect we have from knowing ourselves, knowing love, from knowing empathy and compassion, and from the willingness to listen to each other and trust in one another. If I'm right about this, for me, socially conditioned throughout dated ideas of masculinity, that something like showing love with male friends and to fellow humans at large is considered weakness, it's considered a lack of willpower and dominance, rather than as a guiding force for humanity and life, for governing and for business, then we need more people, and I think possibly men in particular, to step forward and be willing to say the word love when we speak and when we act so that we can socially reshape that conditioning to place love into our everyday actions as the common ground from which we all can live and then build. This is why I take being a dad to my two sons so seriously. It's an opportunity to work through them to make positive change in the world, to have two boys who will grow up and make their own paths and will know that through thoughtful and respectful behavior, that through compassion and expression of honest self and love is the truest way to live. Rather than falling in line and hardening an exterior, this shell, against the world, against who they really are, hiding that away, just for the sake of others who don't know how to get in touch with that piece of themselves, or maybe are afraid to. My wife Becca and I teach our sons these things. We teach them to be these leaders with hearts. In fact, Becca and I had a conversation this morning with our sons about the effect of our actions, like love, through the spiritual concept of karma. It was one of our sons who brought it up, actually. Because these things come up in our house. They're never one-and-done topics. It's an ongoing dialogue, ongoing learning and practicing and sharing. And words like love and karma are already in their vocabulary because of that. By the way, a quick thing here about karma. Because I just re-explained this for my boys in that conversation. Contrary to popular understanding, karma is not really the mystical force of retribution it's often thought to be. It's not about immediate cosmic punishment for something you've done. Rather, karma, the Sanskrit word, means action. Karma, the concept, is about cause and effect. So I understand with cause and effect that that is why people often translate that to think that, for example, Y must have happened to me because earlier today I did X to someone else. But it's more nuanced than that. Okay, and so, so that's part of the conversation we have with our sons and we teach that nuance, and here it is. The effect of our karma, our actions, is the ripple caused by our actions. It's about how our actions more broadly and consistently have an impact on others, and subsequently the impact of their actions on yet others, and so on, which eventually leads to what we all cultivate together and then receive in the world. When we serve good, good ripples to those around us and inspires more good. 
It then has the power to collectively establish an environment, a culture, a world of goodness, and vice versa, when our actions are not so much about that goodness. This is why the societal chaos of politics and culture wars continues to be rooted in disconnection and division, to be caught in the chaotic ripples of our actions that come from distrust and anger and reactive self-interests. This disconnection from love and from the easy, free, and full expression of it with each other is a consequence of being disconnected from our highest selves, individually and by ripple effect collectively. It's a consequence of allowing externals, largely based on fear, to shape and influence us, to condition us, and ultimately to take us away from the center of ourselves, where we feel most natural, most grounded, most at ease, and most aware of who we really are, what we're really about. Love is inherent. It is in each of us by nature. The spiritual journey of recognizing it, remembering it, recovering awareness of our innate connection with it, and practicing the application of it is an internal one. It starts at home, in that truest sense, that truest meaning of home. It's within ourselves. When we establish a grounded awareness of our own love, we can be much better equipped to resist reacting impulsively to the negative ripples of others' karmas, thereby keeping those ripples from spreading disconnection, anger, hate, and even then to reverse the flow, as long as we're emitting positive ripples through our karmas, our actions. This is who we are. This is what we offer the world when we know who we really are. I've long been tired of feeling like I had the capacity to be more honest with myself and act in fuller, more honest ways. And I've been working on it for quite some time. I mean, for many years. As a boy and then man, I have been taught to wear a mask, to keep people at a distance, to not be soft with them. So that's part of my story, part of my conditioning. And you have your own story of learnings and traumas and conditionings. And they're all valid. And those stories factor into our relationships with love for self and others. It will continue to be work for me to break apart that mask I've accumulated. I mean, it's, it's 40 plus years of socialization and experience. And to be that most honest person, version of myself, with myself and others, emotionally. As it will be for you and yours. But this thing of love, this idea of telling you that I know it's there, I know it's in me, and I want to do more with it, that's a step. In my previous solo episode, the one on chopping wood and carrying water, I talked about life being about putting in the patient, consistent work, step by step. This is that. So, where do you stand with your love? What's getting in your way of receiving and giving it, of being it, more fully? Are your actions coming from love or from a need for love? Whatever the answers to those questions, just let them come. Don't judge them. Don't judge yourself, be gentle, and look at them honestly. Then make use of the feedback. Connection within ourselves, to other humans, to all nature. It's our natural state. Being and expressing love is essential to that connection. Love is, love is the connection. Love. Thanks for listening to my thoughts on love, karma, in a moment in time in my spiritual practice in which I'm always working to be a better version of me for you. If you have comments or topical suggestions for a future solo episode of Humanitu, you can reach me by email at adam at or by Instagram DM at Humanitu. 
Information and links related to people and works mentioned in this episode are in the show notes at Humanitude.com, where you can also subscribe to Humanitude's monthly email newsletter, and you could even give a buck to support Humanitude through the support link on the homepage. Until the next episode, I'm Adam Williams, creator and host of the Humanity Podcast. Thanks for being here.